Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's The Wonky Show, and believe it or not, we're in Malmo in Sweden. We'll chat COVID harms, Michelle Donnellan has been writing about student issues, and we'll reflect on a week of roaming around the Nordics. It's all coming up. For many years, there has been a lot of change in, uh, in the political direction from the government, because then you have one minister, and then you have another, and then, uh, then there's a new idea, and then there's another new idea. Do you know we have had... 11 ministers of higher education in 10 years. So, like, we are so tired of different reforms and they haven't implemented them, really. So, like, the just getting things to slow down, I think that would, is a main challenge. Welcome to The Wonky Show, your weekly way into this week's higher education news, policy and analysis. I'm Jim Dickinson and just to explain, this week we're on the Wonky SU's European study tour to Scandinavia where we're visiting 15 universities and student organisations across three countries by road and sea and meeting almost 100 friends and partners across Northern Europe. So here in Malmo to discuss the week's developments, as usual, three fabulous guests. Uh, first up, Becky Ricketts is President of NUS Wales. Becky, your highlight of the trip, please. My highlight of the trip so far um, was actually signing a student petition to save the Copenhagen Business School's Thursday bar night. Um, so getting that in the WhatsApp and making sure that everybody uh, signs that and saves their bar night. Brilliant. Uh, and next up, Evie Croxford is president at Sheffield Students Union. Evie, your highlight of the trip, please. I think my highlight of the week, although I can't really top Becky's because that 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 petition means a lot, but um, it was probably the sightseeing in Copenhagen, such a beautiful city, and it was so nice to just be somewhere else and roaming and seeing the culture of it. Brilliant. And Gary Hughes is chief exec at Durham Students Union. Gary, your highlight of the trip, please. Do I can top Becky. Um, I had the pleasure of uh, going with Jim on a special preview tour to Aarhus University Student Union, where we happened across a student in a corridor. And when we just asked him, what do you do here? What, what do you enjoy? He went, I, I, I brew in my spare time. We've got a brewing society. Do you want some? And he took us into a small cupboard and uh, turned out he tried to reverse engineer a coconut milk milk stout um, and offered us some. We had to go, oh, it's a bit early for me, um, but a colleague had it, and it was like wonderfully tropical cough syrup. You're making it sound like we haven't done any work. Anyway, uh, um, <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe we're delivering Anyway, so yes, we start this week with COVID harms. The Scottish Government has published a report assessing the impact of public health measures put in place during the pandemic on students' experience in further and higher education. Gary, what's, uh, what's this all about? So the Scottish Government have um, taken a really interesting wider look not just on the um immediate health related uh, the public health related um physiological aspects of covid but they're really interested in the knock-on effects the things that you wouldn't get um picking up on an lft and you wouldn't go to hospital for per se um but they've looked particularly at learners um students and staff within higher education further education and community learning and development uh, in scotland now the report is um reasonably pithy so it's, it's 20 pages which was uh, good and easy to digest and it's got a really good range of evidence in it from student organizations to academic to news to government sources um, and i think the um reality is that they are like a lot of government social science reports it's telling you things that you knew but it's a 
bringing together all those sources to actually inform policy making in Scotland, looking at um, mental health and well-being, looking at the uh, learning opportunities lost and what institutions have done or not done and what they can do about it next. I think the um, fact that a government is looking at that is, um, I mean, well done, Scotland, another reason to be jealous. Um, but I think the um, shame for me really is that it's lots of findings, but no actual action yet. So I can only hope that people will use this and talk about it and feed into the Scottish government uh, thoughts about next action and perhaps we can think about in England and Wales what uh, whether we can hope for anything as uh, interesting. Yes Becky I, I, I was reading it thinking that, you know one of the frustrating things I think about reading it is that I've, I have this kind of sensation of I'm sure lots of people were pointing out that a lot of this would happen just as the pandemic kicked off. I'm sure a lot of people were pointing out that a lot of this would happen during the pandemic. And now there's a report pointing out that it did happen. But it's like, like okay, so what are we going to do about it? I think the first thing to, th- to, to do is actually just to to digest the information. Like There is a significant amount of statistics in here um, that are, you know, obviously things that we knew, but things that are quite worrying. Um you know, obviously it touches on things like student mental health, it touches on well-being, it touches on the social aspects. Um, so you're right, it's all things that we already knew that we know COVID has just exacerbated. So I think the first thing to do is actually just digest the information, like digest the learning and understanding that is in here and take those statistics and actually just think about those percentages. Um, you know, I, I think you know there's, there's a lot of work to do in terms of COVID recovery and actually making sure that we don't just focus on um, on you know, just businesses as well. Like obviously, we have to make sure that students and graduates have the opportunity to get into the, so, you know, the the workforce. Um, so, you know, I think I think there's a lot that can be done. Um, but, you know, I think for us, it's, I think we give a lot of the answers quite a lot of the time in terms of, you know, these are the things that we want to see. And actually, I think for something like this, it's something for, it's time for governments to step up and tell us what they're going to do rather than us giving them ideas and then critiquing it. It should be vice versa. Evie, the, 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 one of the senses I get is that, um, that, that there have probably been some really profound effects on um, students, young people and so on. But actually, the sense around the sector has been this kind of momentum to just go back. Can we just go back to normal? And, you know, there's no doubt there's a bit of relief about that. I mean, we are experiencing relief this week because we are not in Britain. We've been on a, you know, we're, we're in another country and this trip is finally on and so on. But... You know, we've all been impacted in different ways and students in quite profound ways that perhaps we haven't yet digested. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really important point, Jim. Like there's there's a lot of um, things that were made better because of the pandemic. Like we all know the kind of the benefits that it's brought to disabled students and to com- commuter students and distant learners and all of that kind of thing. I'm not, I don't need to go into that because the sector very, very much knows this. Um but I think it, it's kind of ex- exas- it's exacerbated a lot of problems that we already knew were there, especially to disadvantaged students, mental health, like students becoming so much lonelier, troubles with finances. And I think so um, a lot of what this talks about, it's got that section on financial hardship um, and what we could do with a lot of more support there, because finance intersects with so many different other things like that has a knock on effect on your mental health, like how much time you can spend with other people because you might have to be working like we need to see improvements in these areas and actual some proper concrete things coming out of this so um i'm i'm excited to see what policies and what kind of support we see coming out of this report i guess the other thing that is you know interesting i mean and the report does kind of get there it talks about the importance of social interactions and social life and so on but i still get this sense that there's a hell of a lot of people floating around the edges of the sector or in the sector 
that at the back of their minds, they might not say this out loud, but at the back of their mind would say, well, we're not here to provide people with a social life and no one had a social life during the pandemic. But it's more than that, isn't it? When, when you don't have social interaction during a higher education experience, you're not just taking away people's ability to nip to the pub, are you? There's something else been robbed of them. Yeah, totally. Um, there's so much of what Student Union brings are, are this kind of, this different level of social interaction, that community building, like the soft skills that you get from that kind of interaction, like teamworking, looking after people, like making friends for life as well like and they're all transferable skills that you can take on to like wider aspects um it's really important in that whole sense of like learning community student voice how much like how much students get involved with change making and that kind of thing um it's huge the 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 kind of things that we've lost from that and it's it's nice that we can start kind of rebuilding that a bit now what um you know i mean in all practically gary what are the things that you know, if it was up to you, you would see, um, you know, either governments or, or, or the sector doing at this point, either to make right what has happened to that generation or actually to address some of the things for students that are kind of currently in the system. What, what should be going? I think the thing that it was really good to see in this report that, again, you knew, but it was good to see it was the extent to which the sector relies upon other people to help deliver student learning outcomes. So there's an example in the report about dentistry students who had to repeat a year because they just couldn't get the practical dentistry. And you couldn't let somebody lose in a healthcare setting without that level of experience. So they sort of had no choice. And at that point, you're talking about restitution in terms of finance and time and career development and all that sort of stuff. But the community uh, learning development sector, I think, um, was really hard about use of facilities in the community and how um, other people took those away or needed them for other things. And you just can't get that back. I think the um, thing I'd probably like to see change most is a, is a recognition that where um, higher education institutions are relying upon the private or public sector to be part of a student learning journey those things are subject to their own vulnerabilities and no risk register, no um, student protection plan can account for um, the the complexity of all those partnerships. But it should probably have a try. And I think particularly when you know you're always sending people to the same hospitals, to the same schools, to the same, I don't know, um, uh, you know, large local employers and thinking about partnerships with um, engineering organisations or the Navy, those sorts of ones. There seems to me an element that this report gets to, which is when a significant disruption affects those sectors, there needs to be some policy-led, um, probably at governmental level, to say, well, what happens to those learners then? Because in terms of the learning outcomes, the, the academic institution has control of its own awards, it can do what it likes, actually. But it won't unless they get the learning. But then, yeah. so I think there's there's a reliance that education depends upon a network of the whole of society. What policy is aimed at institutions or students, and actually it seems to be many more people who need to be part of making that. And government can only be the people I think who bring those people together. Becky, at various points throughout the pandemic, uh, you were in a country that at least uh, appeared to recognise some impact on student mental health and threw some money at the wall. Yeah, so we actually were really lucky um, to funding from the Welsh Government to look at uh, the student experience, look at mental health and wellbeing, um, and also for student union support. Um, so yeah, we were we were lucky to be able to kind of get, um, I think it was 50k for every student's union in Wales, which was really good. Um, and that went specifically into looking at student experience. So looking at, you know, how do we make sure that students do really basic things like make friends? Like it's the sort of thing we absolutely take for granted. You know, when I was a student, it was, you know, you go to the student union bar three nights a week and then you kind of make friends with your flat and that's it. But, you know, when you're in a lockdown situation, when you're in a situation that, you know, you don't necessarily have that same opportunity to have additional funding, to look at different ways to, to for students to have that social aspect um i think was really important for my for my for my student unions and i know that you know it's it's been something that's been really helpful um 
And as well as that, we've um, worked at um, kind of creating a, a post-16 mental health strategy. So looking at um, bringing together all of our post-16 learners, so our obviously FE, HE and our apprentices um, under one um, strategy to look at the gaps that currently exist within the mental health provision that we have in Wales between the NHS, between charities, between institutional services, between the services that students' unions can provide. Um, so I think, you know, we've, we've put a lot of work into it in the last couple of years in Wales and I, I think, I think it's paid off. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of good work that's come from it. Um, and yeah, we, I think we were really lucky to, to have a, have a government that actually recognised that this is a significant issue that not only needs funding, but needs that, that strategy behind it to make sure that it, it lasts longer than, you know, it's not just money thrown at the wall, as, as you've said. Right now, let's see who's been blogging for us this week. Hello, I'm Samantha Wilkinson, a senior lecturer in childhood and youth studies at Manchester Metropolitan University. And I've co-authored this article with Lydia Dye Stonebridge, a former policy manager. In this article, we highlight why we need to begin to talk about fertility in higher education. To do so, we draw on our own lived experiences of undergoing fertility treatment whilst working in the higher education sector. Our article concludes that if you find you need to support someone going through fertility treatment, you should be supportive. Listen and ask open questions about how you can help. Think about the impact treatment can have on personal well-being as well as on an individual's career. Be flexible. Make reasonable adjustments just as you would with anyone with an unexpected medical need. Be compassionate. And this is a really important one. Recognise that fertility issues can erode an individual's sense of self-worth and causes deep grief. So be responsive and kind because this matters deeply regardless of the outcome of treatment. Now, next up, Michelle Donnellan has been writing in The Independent on a whole host of issues. Becky, what did she have to say? So, Michelle Donnellan has, um, as as you said, written in The Independent around um, sexual assault in institutions, around NDA agreements, um, and around kind of what what we can what we can do and what we can do next um, in terms of looking at this. Um, so it's, it's you know it's an area that um, we've been looking at for a very very long time. It's something that is consistently brought up in student unions. It's something that we know universities and institutions are looking at. Um, so the fact that government have now committed to looking at something like this as well, um, I think is is a really is a really good step forward. Um, so I think for us, obviously, there's support behind it, but it's it's where do we go with this next we've had you know we've had support from the government we've had um universities sign um a pledge on it so it's it's what is the next step i think is a big question yes evie this is um i mean i mean in some ways it's it, it, it it's a very easy campaign for a minister to run this isn't it because because <laughs> it's not like opposition politicians are going to disagree with that no exactly um and although i absolutely welcome the work that she's been doing on it it's nice to have someone like her shouting about these kind of issues i i find the rest of the article quite frustrating and how she's talking about kind of like um, systemic misogyny and sexism but she's also just passed a load of um, all, all the changes that they made to the, in response to the Orga review which disproportionately affect women um, and it's one of those tokenistic things where it's like yeah she can shout about it but all of these other effects that are going on um, it's it's really frustrating to see and, 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 and actually the, the, I mean, she also talks quite a bit about um, mental health in the article and it's not immediately clear 
I mean, it's one of the... You know what I mean? When you're reading it and you're like, is she going to get to the paragraph where she talks about what she's going to do about it other than fund student space? And it's like, that never happens, does it? Yeah, totally. She's just calling for universities to um, improve their support for students um, and mental health without any kind of suggestion of, oh, I I might give you a bit of extra funding for this. But instead, she's cutting universities' funding in real terms, uh, squeezing them even more, making the working conditions worse for staff, uh, like support worse. You know, she's just... She's also putting extreme pressure on graduates. So you've got that stress running through universities. You've got the prospective students who have the stress of potentially needing to pass their GCSEs or A-levels if that's the route that they're taking in. You're already stressing them out before they come to university. Why don't we talk about some of the preventative things that we can do, Michelle? Why don't you kind of like make a difference on that rather than shouting about it in an article without any action? We, we shouldn't complain too much there, Gary. Like, like the, 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 this, is a, this is a conservative higher education minister that, is, that I, I don't think I've seen one talk about precarious contracts before I'm that, I mean there's a section in the piece about precarity and you know I doubt Joe Grady I mean I haven't checked Twitter today we've been on a bus but I mean I doubt over the Orison Bridge I doubt Joe Grady is you know parading through the streets at this point on Twitter celebrating Michelle's backing but I mean it's you know we have to take this at face value don't we it's a, it's a good thing is it? Well I think it's Joe Grady's birthday so happy birthday Joe I understand she's cavorting in the streets somewhere else uh, from what I saw on Twitter um, but you're right Jim I think the thing that struck me in the article was that um, she actually quoted UCU research and I think the thing that I take with a lot of um, Michelle Donnan's announcements recently is you can't complain because she's doing something. And, and that is a start. You know, it's more than many of her colleagues. But I think the the lack of recognition, actually, uh, you know, I work at Durham where we're really fortunate to have um, sector-leading academics and professional staff. Uh, Graham Towell and Clarissa Humphreys in particular have released a brilliant new book this week about sexual violence in higher education and what we can do to prevent and uh, resolve some of the challenges there. UCU, student leaders for decades talking about this. Um, and it is... I think in, good that she's doing something. Remarkable that she's referenced at least some of the progressive or- organisations that have um, nudged her towards that way. But I think it just speaks again to me of the way that Michelle Donnellan, like, are you the minister or not? Like, because you're not Martin Lewis, like, who can just like go, oh, if only I had power. Um, and I think that the extent to which, like, I have issued guidance for OFS, I've issued a pledge for vice chancellors. Um, I'm going to phone this one because I don't like what they did with the decorations at a graduation. I'm going to phone the other one because I don't like what they've done with their website. It's like, I understand you have the power of the law. Um, like, and it would be, I think it was interesting to see the start of it, but I think as, um, uh, we've said, uh, before, um, what are you going to do? Where's the paragraph that says the money or the change in policy or the action? Yes, I mean, you know, ultimately, Becky, there's a there's a problem with the unit of resource, right? I mean, if you if <laughs> if we want universities to spend more money on mental health and have less precarious contracts and so on and so on, it would probably help if fees weren't completely frozen. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that the President of NUS Wales should be backing an increase in fees, but it's a problem, isn't it, if the unit of resource is frozen and we've got inflation running at 8 9%. You know, I think I think for something like this, I, I think it all, it all just ties together, doesn't it? Like, there are things in here that we've been talking about for a long time in this article. Obviously, you've, you know, we've had the discussion with UCU, we've had strikes, obviously, we've just had the NDAs. Um, there's a whole host of things, you know, housing, student mental health, social mobility, like all of these things that we have been talking about for a very long time it just I think for me it's I think it just comes back to what Gary said in the sense of you know you have the power to do something about this and the fact that you're acting like you don't is incredibly worrying and disingenuous you know it's kind of a 
okay, well, we'll do as much as we can as long as I don't get any heat for it. And the minute you get heat for it, it's I'll step away from the fire. And actually, you know, if you're going to put yourself in government, like you have to face up to that sometimes you have been the ones to cause that fire. And, you, you know, if you're going you're gonna to get backlash for it. So I, you know, I, I, you know, I welcome the article, but I think there is a lot in here that is just to keep people off of her back rather than any commitment. Because the minute you make a commitment, if you don't do it, people are going to pull you up on it. So if you don't make a commitment, there's nothing, there's nothing that can be done. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, there's just, there's just so many kind of things that just link in together that students have been talking about for a very, very long time. And it's not just students. It's, you know, it's SU staff. It's, you know, there are staff in universities that have recognized that the issues that Michelle touches on in this particular article are things that she has the direct power to change and just currently is not choosing to. Evie, I th- I, you know, one of the things I, th- I think has been interesting while we've been on touring around has been, you know, it, it's clear that these issues around, say, mental health and sexual misconduct, that they're, they're certainly not only British. They are everywhere we go. People are kind of, uh, you, know, you know, struggling with these issues. What, it, what, what, does, what, what is it that needs to be done? Is it extra funding for prevention? Is it consent classes is it making you know banning ndas or is it all of these things you know what what what, what what's the magic wand the magic wand i th- i don't know if if we've realized in the sector but there's never any magic wand for anything but um i do think it absolutely is a combination of all of these things like what we can do about like teaching teaching our students um kind of like how we actually treat people with respect like with consent and also having zero tolerance policies in our venues and our places that we can control and we can make them safe as safe as we can anyway um and and also increasing the funding for like mental health support and like do it doing all of that we we need it and you know michelle can give us the money to do a lot of these things she can she can she can bring in the regulations. she can do all that but you know um, I guess we'll see if she ever wants to do that. And then, Evie, just, 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 just really quickly, just before we move off this, the, 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 there were various references in the piece to women and men, and I don't know whether that's accidental or... But, I mean, there's a context here, right? Yeah, there, there absolutely is a context. I think um, the the repeating of, like, women and men and not using, like, broader terms like people is reaffirming the kind of transphobic government policies that we've been seeing recently. It's really um, hammering home that agenda that they've got, and I think it's... Really really disappointing to see. Now, this week, uh, as we said earlier, we're on a study tour of Scandinavia, learning about education and student representation. And earlier, we caught up with someone from the National Union of Students in Denmark. Hi, I'm Jakob Blesius, and I'm the international officer in the Danish Student Union. The big issues currently facing students in Denmark. I think for many years there has been a lot of change in uh, in the political direction from the government because then you have one minister and then you have another and then uh, then there's a new idea and then there's another new idea. Do you know we have had 11 ministers of higher education in 10 years? So like we are so tired of different reforms and they haven't implemented them really. So like the just getting things to slow down i think that would is a main challenge because like some of the things we're facing with student well-being and stress and mental health there's like really some some things that are like serious problems and these universities can't really help address them because they are overworked and stressed out themselves so that's very interesting because often we like to think i think of students wanting change to be faster <laughs> and the sector and government wanting students to slow down. But here, you've had so many ministers in so many years that actually you just want a bit of stability and for someone to see through an idea, I, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we have some problems where we say, like, 
we need to address this now. Like, this is a serious problem. But at the same time, we have this reform chaos that we are trying to work with. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's trying to balance those, those two. Um, because there are like other, others of these initiatives that the government is proposing that is extremely harmful. Like, for instance, like the international students, uh, reforms that they have done because they want to say, no, we don't want international students in Denmark. They want, uh, Danish education for the Danes. And, and we're like, but that's not good for anyone. That's not good for Denmark. That's not good for international students. So why do you want to do that? So, um, so yeah, there are a lot of problems that we are trying to address. Um, but at the same time, we are also like, slow down, guys. We need to, uh, to do it good. Uh, and, uh, like think things through. So on that mental health question, um, you know, mental health, big issue in lots and lots of countries. And I guess in the UK, we we have a minister that struggles to know what to do. Yeah, that, like actually not really clear which buttons to press or levers to pull to fix that particular problem. So what are the kind of ideas that are on the table around student mental health in, you know, in Denmark? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I, I recognize that uh, that sense um, because uh, because yeah I I had this this great conversation with uh, some some people who are in the government right now and they're like oh can we just like throw some money at the students and then they will be happy and yeah like well invest in good initiatives that's a good idea but don't just like throw money at them after COVID there was this uh, this idea that okay we need to restart volunteers and like uh, communities uh, like social groups and all those kind of things uh, so the money the government was like okay let's throw some money at it but like you you need to like do it like in a good way and a collaborative way with students and not just like say oh like do stuff uh because you need to like addressing mental health mental health uh problems it's not just something you do over one night it's like it's also taking a serious look at the systems that are creating those problems because in denmark we have had some real acceleration of the progression in uh, in how far people uh, finish their education because the government's like oh, okay get out get into the labor market and people are stressed out and the government's like why are you stressed out so uh, it's really also about addressing those problems obviously um you know participation rates are, 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 are have been growing in lots of countries over the last few years and and that that puts real pressure on the amount of money available to spend per student and when we were at Roskilde yesterday, the, the, one of the student council was saying that, you know, there are reforms to sort of limit the number of optional modules that students can take on their programs. Is that kind of austerity, that unit of resource problem? Is that, is that, is that something that's facing universities across, across the country, that amount of money available to spend per student? Yes, it is. It, it, it is definitely. And it's not only at, uh, at Roskilde University. They are, they are, they're facing that problem. It's, uh, it, it's really, the the thing is that uh, the government is kind of surprised that like there if you have a lot of students in higher education that it costs a lot of money and they're like why should we spend a lot of money and we're like because you want quality education you want them to to it you want it all to be good um so uh, so yeah um we try to say like it costs money to do this right um and a higher education university is a right for everyone so like you you need to allow students to uh, keep coming into university Universities. So you cannot just like limit the number of students to say, oh, then we like don't don't spend that much money on it because uh, when we whenever time the government tries to do anything like that, it always hits the most disadvantaged students first. Um, and and when we say that to the government, they're like, oh no, but like maybe they should just pull themselves together a bit more. And it's like 
guys, that's so old-fashioned. And can, can we can we move on? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it. So they, we also find that they recognize it to some degree, but not always. Just describe for us the kind of relationship and the sort of influence that students have in the decision-making in their university and then decision-making in government and the agencies and that kind of I think uh, historically we have seen a decrease in the like formal power, like formal power that students have in decision-making processes, um, which means that today it is much more built on like relationships and like how like how do we usually do it in our institution and like how students usually include it and how like if there was a like really passionate students who were really good at taking part in decision-making, then there's a tradition of that. Um, so we we do have some some problems with the with that. Like the formal uh, participation in it, but at the same time, there is still like room for it. And when we we find at uh, a government level, it's it of course it differs who is in power, uh, which party is in power. But uh, but they uh, they they tend to be open for to listen, and then they say no, we disagree. But uh, as long as we're having conversation, then we're that far. And I think that that's really the first step. And we have a lot of also conversations and and dialogue with other stakeholders around higher education and around young people. People. And I think as a student union, it's important to build those relationships with higher education institutions, with uh, business, the business sector and NGOs. And like, because if you want to be heard as a young person and as a student in decision making processes, it's also about knowing what spaces uh, decisions are made in. Who should go to university and why? What is social mobility these days anyway? And are we heading for a more joined up tertiary education system in England and across the UK? Join us in May for Access All Areas, a wonky event where we'll assess the current access and participation landscape and consider what we need to change in terms of outreach, information, advice and guidance, partnerships and pathways between providers and on-course student support to sustain and grow education opportunity in the years ahead. We'll bring together policymakers and practitioners to work through the challenges, including the new RFS Director for Fair Access and Participation, John Blake, and identify the things that will make the most difference to future students' ability to get in and get on. That's Access All Areas, Tuesday the 10th of May in London. Find out more at wonky.com slash events. See you there. Now it's time for Yes, But Does It Correlate? Here to set this week's correlation question is Wonky's Associate Editor, David Carnahan. Welcome to Yes, But Does It Correlate, a podcast segment directly responsible for the foundation of the University of Oxford, according to Michelle Donnellan. This week, I'm looking at the proportion of first-year, first-degree students who are from a state school background against the proportion of those in provider-owned accommodation. Are students who come from a private school more likely to end up living in halls? Yes, but does it correlate? Um, I'm going to say no, because I know, well, just from my experience of being a student and the different people that I know, I I don't think it correlates at all. There's a a vast mix of, well, of state and private schools and all of that kind of different backgrounds. So, yeah, no, I'm going to say no. So my guess is that it does correlate on the understanding, this is an absolute guess because I was a politics graduate, um, that there are just more state schools pupils. So we have to take that. That's the largest proportion. And I would guess that they would be uh, in halls. Yeah, that that would be my thing, just because they're the largest amount of people. And the answer is no. R squared is 0.21, suggesting a very, very weak correlation between these two variables. 
It's likely that the proportion of first years in provider-owned accommodation is linked to the historic availability of such accommodation on the university estate. Not all providers have got the large number of student uh, bedrooms that you might find at a place like Cambridge. The data is from the HESA UKPI for widening participation and the HESA student data set. It's for 2020-21 and where the data doesn't exist, I've not plotted it. And finally, we thought we'd have a little think about some of the learning from the week. So, uh, Evie, let's start with you. Do you have any key observations, moments where you went, what? Uh, or, yes, go. Um, I think I think some key observations that I've got so far have been how much um, the SUs here, like, trust their students. Like, they they are almost entirely run on volunteers and they've just got that trust that they know they can rely on that um obviously there's a whole different kind of like culture and they get certain funding from the government and things so I guess there's less time pressures and all of that kind of thing so a lot of things play into it but it's really it's quite nice to see it's quite nice to see that and and totally different to how issues work here which is which is really interesting um I think I think um another really powerful thing that we we were speaking about today was um how how the NUS, especially in Denmark, works and how successful they are. Um, they were talking about recently a protest that had like 50,000 students when the government tried to change, make a change to their grants that they received. Um, having that many students out on the streets these days, like, I just like, there's not quite, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like we've got the political connectedness among our SUs in, in, in the UK to, to do that. So, um, it was really interesting seeing how, hearing how like they work with, as the NUS with like their member organizations and all of that kind of thing. Obviously, massively different scale and funding and all that kind of thing again, but really interesting. Um, and great to see. Becky, uh, in, uh, certainly in Denmark, I think, you know, one of the things we, we, we were probably all blown away about it was this was this idea that they you know they're desperately trying to speed up the process by which students will leave because you know it was only 10 years ago you could be a student forever in Denmark fully funded with over a thousand pound a month and <laughs> to, to pay your rent with and so on yeah this was this was a big bit of learning for me in that yeah so till about 10 years ago um you were able just to take as long as you needed to do your bachelor's degree um and obviously in the UK it's so different because it's you know you get four years of funding for a three-year course and and if you don't make it within that time it's you self-fund or that's it um so I, I just found that really strange yeah it was it was about 10 years ago that they actually changed it um to look at, at to look more like to the UK model um and I just, yeah, it was it was a really interesting bit of learning. And I think maybe that reflects in maybe the different demographic of students in the sense that, you know, maybe there aren't as many uh, student parents or as many student carers as maybe we have in the UK. Um, so it was just really interesting that they deliberately moved to a model that we have, knowing that there's so much dissatisfaction with a model that we have and wanting to adopt the way that they did things 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really interesting bit of learning. And um yeah, definitely, definitely something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take back and look at. Gary, o- over the bridge in uh, Malmo, one of the things that really struck me was the focus on student rights and enforcing student rights, which I often hear framed as consumerism in the UK. But for me, this evening was a reminder that you can have student rights in a completely opposite to consumerist kind of system. Yeah, I think that's, that's uh, an old but 
tedious debate, isn't it? And I think the um, the fact that like it's the students that have got rights, whether we like them or how we frame them, is really not the point, isn't it? Like that they're, they're the students' rights. And I think uh, Malma is a relatively recent university, so they only get, uh, you know they've been around for decades and have antecedents very old, but they've only been university since 2018, and they've bitten it like they've gone right in about what sort of university do we want, what sort of culture and institution and relationships do we want, and one of them was that actually if a student. Um, if they're told as part of their academic development, we will give you feedback at a time and in a way that helps you learn. So that for your next uh, assessment, for your next seminar, you know, doesn't even need to be assessed. You, you'll have a better understanding of what you're about. But if you don't get that feedback in a helpful way in a helpful time, somebody, a student representative, uh, they call it an ombuds, but I don't think it's the way we'd understand it. But certainly a student representative, like a uh, an advocate, will say to your lecturer on your behalf, is, is there a problem? Uh, like what an change, and there's no accusation in that. Maybe there's a really good a- explanation for it. Like it's not intimidating or threatening, but they're, but they're on it, like because they know that that is important to learning. Now that doesn't come with a, a, a price. They didn't pay for that education. It doesn't come with um, paperwork or, in, or, in, or any um, workplace rights shenanigans. It's effectively just like is, is all the learning happening here in the way it should, and that is a right. And if it doesn't happen in the way it should, then somebody's rights haven't been respected. Um, so I think the. And, and, and just the way they spoke about it, so looking at uh, Becky and even and then like the way they spoke about it was just so um, certain that they were correct. Like, it, and, and that was lovely. But I don't think it was confidence. It was just like, what is there another way of running a university institution? <laughs> like, what, what are there places where you'd apologise about that? Like, you would just go in because you don't apologise because it's a right. And like, that was just so interesting, so refreshing to see. Because I think we often. Um, makes such a meal out of um, agonising over oh what does this say in the grand Marxist practice like somebody's not getting the feedback go for it it was really nice to see so that's about it for this week we're off for Easter now but we'll be back after the break remember to dig a bit deeper into anything we've discussed today you'll find links in the show notes on wonky.com don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast automatically just search for The Wonky Show on your favourite podcast directory or you'll find the feed you need on wonky.com forward slash podcast so uh, thanks again to Becky Evie Gary to everyone at Team Wonky that makes the show happen and until next week stay wonky Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.